Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. Joe Biden has to remind us why we need to be involved in foreign wars all over the world. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast, find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. If you're getting this in October of 2023, use that coupon code MANIFESTDESTINY on my latest class at McClanahan Academy, or the age of Jackson. It's still good through the end of October, so go ahead and grab that. You've got about a week left to go do it, and you get 80 bucks off. You can also purchase any other classes there using the coupon code PODCAST at 25% off all day, every day. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Go to Spotify for podcasters. Click on the heart button under YouTube, the super thanks button. All those, you can throw a few pennies my way. Click on the shop tab. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Christmas is coming up. or one of my books. They make great gifts. Go to barnesandnobleamazon.com. They have my books. But as always, painlessly, you can support the show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast so people know you love it. Share it around social media. Give that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. And comment on YouTube for the algorithm. It does help get more eyes and ears on the show. And send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. Actually, I had a show request episode past couple of days. I mean, it's uh, this week. So first one, people sent me that Nicole Williams article. And um, then uh, yesterday with... Jonathan Turley and Fox News and the Constitution. So great stuff. I like it when you help me produce content because that means you're involved in it. Well, this one was an interesting speech, right? Joe Biden went and addressed the people of the United States the other day because we've got potentially three foreign wars at one time. Now, he's not... It's We've got Taiwan now. I mean, so um, that's not even being discussed. We've got potentially three foreign wars, and this has a ten, this has a chance to blow up into World War III. And the people that are in the know are certainly concerned about it. Uh, it could escalate very quickly. And as I've mentioned before on this particular show and other places, look, if you want to get into a war, elect a Democrat, because the Democrats always put us into wars. I mean, you go back, the only, the only difference would be George W. Bush, but he was a Wilsonian, so he just might as well be a Democrat. I mean, they love him now. But you go back and look at the major wars of the 20th century, with the exception of George W. Bush, they're all uh, perpetrated by Democrats. You've got World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War. Of course, you can say, well, yeah, but Eisenhower got us into Vietnam. Yeah, we had some advisors there, but we had real boots on the ground, beginning with Kennedy, and Johnson. 
but more Johnson than anything else. So, uh, I mean, Eisenhower wanted out. Uh, and then, of course, you look at the Gulf War. Now, that would be Republicans, um, both progressives, George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush, both progressives. But uh, now, I mean, Obama in Syria, you've got, I mean, Trump was the peacemaker in all this. And he's come out and said, look, if you want to have peace, elect me president again. I'll solve all this. We're not going to be at war with anybody. That should be the driving factor, the driving issue in 2024 when we're electing a president of the United States. Foreign policy. Nothing else. Nobody should care about anything else but that. Because if we get in World War III, none of these other things are going to matter. You're going to see major economic disruptions. You're going to see major problems. You're going to see loss of life. You could see America facing some real issues, militarily, financially. I mean, it could be a real mess. That is the issue that matters. Nothing else does matter. Expensive? Oh my gosh. I mean, the trillions we spent on COVID are going to pale in comparison to having to fight three wars at one time. And trust me, even if Russia and China, I mean, China would be Taiwan. That would be a direct conflict. But even if Russia is not involved, they're going to be involved. They're already involved. And of course, when you look at Ukraine, they have exhausted themselves in many ways in Ukraine. No doubt about it. So do they have the resources to go out and fight somewhere else? I think that's what the Biden administration is banking on. That they don't really have the resources to go and do much else. But they do have nuclear weapons. You don't need a lot of resources when you got nukes. That doesn't take ground troops. You just launch those things. And now we've got real problems. This is why, for during the entire Cold War, the United States tried to de-escalate whenever it could. This is what made Reagan so great as a foreign policy president, is that he de-escalated situations. Richard Nixon, de-escalation. That was the whole point. But you've got Biden now who's not interested in de-escalation. He's interested in escalation. And he said it. He said it. In a speech to the United States, which a bunch of idiots are calling one of his greatest speeches, Biden showing strength. Most Americans are not on board with this. That's, I mean, the, the polling is not going their way, and which is remarkable in some ways, because on one hand, you've got Ukraine and, of course, Russia, and that's been... A really interesting situation. But now you throw in Israel and Hamas and you've got the United States really divided on this issue. And that's, remar that's a remarkable development because, you know, 30 years ago, you wouldn't, seen, you wouldn't have seen as much division. There would have been a very strong pro-Israel contingency in the United States and not so much for Hamas. But because you've had large numbers of immigrants in the United States and because people have started to look at Israel maybe a little differently and some of the information comes out about Israel and uh, maybe they weren't always being the good guys at all times. People have started to be more critical of Israel. And so now your Americans on, on both sides are looking at the situation a little more critically, though we do have the Republican Party generally rallying around Israel and the Democratic Party generally rallying around Hamas. Uh, though, uh, at least on the, the far left, uh, the mainstream Democrats are aligned with the Republicans. Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, these people are going to be aligned with Israel. 100%. You've got the squad and others who are aligned more with Hamas. Uh, but regardless, um, this is what makes these things really fascinating and how the United States could even do this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from this speech. That I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read 
the parts where he really gets into why the United States needs to be involved in this war. Um, and the, the language that Biden uses here is just remarkable. It's remarkably dumbed down. And this has been a process for a long time in American politics to, to dumb down speeches to you know maybe a sixth grade level. But that's what's happened. He says, you know, the assault on Israel echoes nearly 20 months of war, tragedy and brutality inflicted on the people of Ukraine. People that were very badly hurt since Putin launched his all-out invasion. Now, what's missed in all this with, with Ukraine and Russia is that this all started because a section of Ukraine wanted to be part of Russia. So there was a secession movement in Ukraine. They wanted to be part of Russia. Ukraine said no. The United States puts in a puppet government and says, you can't do that. They start talking about NATO. So then Putin says, well, I'll just go and invade Ukraine and make it part of Russia again. Uh, look, the United States was not interested in self-determination, even though they're saying they're for self-determination. This is the funniest thing about all of this. They could have just stopped right there. They could, okay, well, then you're part, of, you're part of Russia now. You're not part of Ukraine. This has been going on for years. Not 20 months. Years. Right? He says, we've not forgotten the mass graves, the bodies found bearing signs of torture. Uh, rape used by as a weapon by the Russians, and thousands and thousands of Ukrainian children forcibly taken into Russia, stolen from their parents. It's sick. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy. Completely annihilate it. What's really funny about that, when, when he says this about Hamas and Israel, for example, is that the United States is propping up both governments. This has all come out. <laughs> the money being used here, the United States created Hamas. They created it when they wanted to get rid of the PLO. It, you can't make this up. You can't make it up. And it's democratically elected. I mean, all that happens. So anyways, Hamas stated purpose for existing is the destruction of the state of Israel and the murder of Jewish people. Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. Hamas uses Palestinian civilians as human shields, and innocent Palestinian families are suffering greatly because of it. I mean, look, that's all true, right? I mean, what they do is barbaric. There's nothing, there's no, there's no denying that. And so he's giving you a rundown of what's happening here, and he says, Meanwhile, Putin denies Ukraine has or ever had real statehood. He claims the Soviet Union created Ukraine. Well, I mean, Russia has always determined what Ukraine is. It wasn't just the Soviet Union. Russia did that. It's not just Ukraine. And so when a people of the Ukraine want to be part of, this, of Russia again, I mean, this is really self-determination. But anyways, and just two weeks ago, he told the world that if the United States and our allies withdraw, and if the United States withdraws, our allies will as well, military support for Ukraine would have, quote, a week left to live. But we're not withdrawing. No, no, no. We're not withdrawing. We're going to keep fighting in Ukraine. We're going to keep spending money and keep doing what we're doing. So then he says this, I know these conflicts can seem far away, and it's natural to ask, why does this matter to America? So let me share with you why making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. You know, history has taught us that when terrorists don't pay a price for their terror, when dictators don't pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos and death and more destruction. They keep going, and the costs and the threats to America and the world keep rising. Really? <laughs> 
in a situation the United States created for itself? That's the question. I mean, the real issue goes back even further than this. Why is the United States in Ukraine to begin with? Why is the United States trying to make Ukraine a member of NATO? When, I mean, NATO is an outdated organization. But he's going to get into that. So we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine. He won't limit himself to just Ukraine. He's, Putin's already threatened to remind, quote, remind Poland that their Western land was a gift from Russia. One of his top advisors, a former president of Russia, has called Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania Russia's Baltic provinces. So we got we to stop all this, right? We got to stop these thugs. But why? I mean, I, I understand self-determination, but if the United States is really committed to self-determination, it, it is uh, not applied evenly. You see. These are all NATO allies. This is why we got to do it. For, for 75 years, NATO has kept peace in Europe and has been the cornerstone of American security. And if Putin attacks a NATO ally, we will defend every inch of NATO, which a treaty requires and calls for. So you see, it's all about NATO. Why was NATO created? Well, because of the Cold War. Do we still have the Cold War? Are we still fighting commies in Russia? Or was it something else? This is what Trump asked when he was president. Do we even need NATO anymore? I mean, it's we, we, we spend all the money on NATO. What does Germany contribute or anything else? What are we doing here? We'll have something that we do not seek. Make it clear. We do not seek. We do not seek to have American troops fighting in Russia or fighting against Russia. No, uh, okay, we don't seek it, but I bet you it's going to happen. It already has happened. There's already people in Ukraine. There's already Americans there. <laughs> so we don't seek it, but it's there. I mean, the language here is funny because it gives you, we don't seek to do this, but, you know, if we do it, well, I mean, we didn't seek it out. Beyond Europe, we know that our allies, and maybe most importantly, our adversaries and competitors are watching. They're watching our response in Ukraine as well. And if we walk away and let Putin erase Ukraine's independence, would-be aggressors around the world be emboldened to try the same? The risk of conflict and chaos could spread to other parts of the world, in the Indo-Pacific, in the Middle East, especially in the Middle East. Iran is supporting Russia and, U and Ukraine, and is supporting Hamas and other terrorist groups in the region, and will continue to hold them accountable, I might add, because we'll bomb them, right? This is... This is John McCain, bomb, 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 Iran. I mean, this is what you're getting. Um, now, why is Iran so hostile to the United States to begin with? Well, maybe because we overthrew their democratically elected government in 1953, which is something the CIA has now admitted that we did. For years, they didn't really admit it. Now they do. The United States and our partners across the region are working to build a better future for the Middle East. Yes, a better future. One where the Middle East is more stable, better connected to its neighbors, and through innovative projects like the India, Middle East, and Europe Rail Corridor that I announced this year. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing at this is because Joe Biden has made trains one of the hallmarks of his entire life. <laughs> you go back and watch speech with Joe Biden. We have to defend Amtrak. So this is the new Amtrak, right? Well, we have to do this because we need a rail line. You can't make this up. It's more about rail lines. Well, I guess they could build their own rail line. Why do we have to do it? We're funding the entire Ukrainian government. It's, it's crazy in a way. I mean, and the amount of money he's going to ask for is, I mean, he's going to say it. American leadership is what holds the world together. American alliances are what keep us, America, safe. Really? 
Our alliances keep us safe? Sounds like they're getting us into wars. That's keeping us safe. What happened to George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and James Monroe? And then even after that, what happened to this idea of American neutrality? Not alliances, but neutrality. George Washington took a lot of heat for declaring neutrality. <laughs> because some people said, well, you know, we need to be aligned with the British or the French. And he said, no, we need to be neutral. What happened to that? That would not get us into a war. Neutrality keeps us out of a war. To put all that at risk, if we walk away from Ukraine, if we turn our backs on Israel, it's just not worth it. Really? What may not worry, Americans are saying what may not be worth it is armed conflict. I mean, why would that be worth it? That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security. America's national security means needs. It's our national security to fund Ukraine and Israel. Last time I checked, neither one was part of the United States. I mean, I know Israel has always wanted to be the 51st state, and we've treated it as such. Ukraine, for a little while, got to be that. But now it's like the 52nd state. So they're, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, they're, they're a little jealous, right? Uh, so, uh, but I know that this is what people want. But uh, they're not part of America's national security. That's a, I mean, this is, this is Orwellian in many ways. It's a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Help us keep American troops out of harm's way. <laughs> Help us build a world that is safer, more peaceful, and more prosperous for our children and grandchildren. I mean, you can't even read that. I don't know how he read that with a straight face. So if we don't fund these things and, and instigate a war, if we don't do this, we're going to not have peace. <laughs> if we don't do this, uh, or if we don't if we don't put troops in harm's way, we're not going to keep troops out of harm's way. There's already troops, American troops in Israel. There's already American troops in Ukraine. If we don't keep if we don't keep American troops in harm's way, we can't keep them out of harm's way. For generations, we can't do that. I mean, this is just sick. Uh, I, the logic here is remarkable. It's remarkably dense. I mean, I, I, there's not many other ways to say it. So when we look at American foreign policy, and again, as I said, this is going to be the key issue going forward in, uh, in 2024. The key issue. So Biden is drawing a line in the sand. We need to spend you know hundreds of billions of dollars in Ukraine and Israel, and perhaps in Taiwan to keep America safe for our national security because these things are part of our national security. Now, you can make a case, and I mean, look, the, the, this comes back to old kind of Cold War ideology. If we don't stop it, if we don't draw a line in the sand by any means necessary and stop this aggression, then it's going to spill out of control and you're going to have Russia take over all of Europe. Russia, I mean, he, he mentions you know the Baltic provinces and he mentions Poland. Uh I'm not certain Russia has any designs on Germany or any other parts of Europe, or even if he would, they would do anything in Poland. I mean, that would be uh, that would be a stretch, I think, to think that Russia would do that. Also, um, I mean, yeah, they've been blustering about these Baltic states, but they've never done anything about it. And I'm not so certain Russia would do any of this stuff. 
Uh, the Middle East. Why is the Middle East all divided up in all these little strongmen states anyways? Because in World War I, this is what happened. The Ottoman Empire was divided up into strongman states because the strongman states were there to balance each other out. You never had one unified Middle East anymore, which could create even more problems, it was thought. So you break Turkey apart, you create Syria, you create Palestine, you create Iraq, you create Iran. You create these things because, again, these would balance each other out. There would be no unified uh, Islamic voice in the Middle East. This is what pe this is what scared people when Obama was president with the Muslim Brotherhood. The idea was to put aside the Shia-Sunni differences and unite, just like the Ottoman Empire again, under one kind of uh, you know imperial model and have all of that together. Now, again, these strongmen don't want that to happen. So having the balance there, having these people play each other off was always the goal. A peaceful, unified Middle East was not really the goal in 1917 or 1919 after the Treaty of Versailles. The goal was to keep the strongmen there so that they never got too powerful to conquer the other. If they tried, the other one would balance out. So the world would have to keep funding these things. Again, where is American interest in all this? I mean, if you're going to say it's long term and we got to keep the Middle East like this so that we don't have an Ottoman Empire causing war on the world, well, that would be um, an argument for it. But again, uh, the United States, this is a byproduct of U.S. imperialism. This is a byproduct of the United States getting involved in Europe. If the United States had never pursued this very Wilsonian progressivism, none of this would even be an issue. Uh, world War I wrecked the world. And there were a lot of Americans, of course, who were more sympathetic with, say, the German Empire than, than the British and the French. We just picked a side. Uh, and uh, they were much more sympathetic with you know, what Germany was doing than than, uh, than resisting that. And of course, those squabbles between Germany and France go all the way back to the division of Charlemagne's empire and the Alsace and Lorraine and all this stuff. I mean, all these things are really interesting historically. And the, German, the Norman conquest of, of Britain and you have the Anglo-Saxons and the German interest there. I mean, so all these things are really interesting. But regardless, American foreign policy has been dictated by a Wilsonian vision since 1917. And you could even go back to 1898. So I like to bring in history in this, in this podcast. 1898, the Spanish-American War. And you have, uh, you have Sumner, uh, William Graham Sumner, writing a very interesting piece at that time entitled The Conquest of the United States by Spain. And his point was that when the United States gets involved in this war, the Spanish-American War, this is going to dramatically change the trajectory of American foreign policy because we become an empire. And because we become an empire, we're going to do all the things that Spain had done since really you know, the 15th century. And that would be to expand out, gain colonies, get involved in all kinds of foreign conflicts. That was the point. He said, this is the turning point. Getting involved in the Spanish-American War, acquiring Cuba, the Philippines, Guam, acquiring all of that. And of course, um, and then future acquisitions, the U.S. Virgin Islands and other things. What's going to happen is the United States is now going to be involved in all kinds of foreign conflicts because that becomes our driving objective. 
we have just now accepted an empire. And you look at how the trajectory, so we get that. And then you get Teddy Roosevelt and the Roosevelt Corollary to the Monroe Doctrine. Everybody's got to stay out of Latin America. And if they don't, we're going to create this. And of course, Grover Cleveland started the process of modernizing the Navy. But now Roosevelt has it. It's a, a shiny new toy. We're going to send this thing around the world, show everybody American naval power. We're going to shoot you if you don't do what we say you should do right, in the Navy. And so uh, you look at the propaganda with that. It's even remarkable. So you have... Um, the, the United States acting rather belligerent with the world at that point. Then you have World War I. And World War I changes everything. The Monroe Doctrine was clear about Europe. The United States stays out of Europe. We don't get involved in foreign European wars for European politics. And that's what we're looking at here now. We don't get involved in Asian wars for Asian politics. We don't get involved in African wars for African politics. We don't get involved in Middle Eastern wars for Middle Eastern politics. But that's exactly what the United States is doing. And Biden in this speech is trying to sell it that it's American national security. The founding generation would have something to say about that. It would be American national security would be neutrality, peaceful trade with all, entangled alliances with none. That's American foreign policy. That's what we pursued for over 100 years. For nearly 150 years, that's what the United States did until World War I. So what we have done for 100 years now is the complete opposite of what we did for the first 150 years or so of American history. Now, I can make a case that Lincoln started the process. The Republicans started rolling the ball in a different direction, and they did. But generally, this is our foreign policy. I, this is why I did a podcast on this the other day. This is our foreign policy. And so to say that this is American interest is to ignore American history for 150 years. But Americans don't realize, they don't know this history. They just think in terms of Cold War. They just think in terms of the last 100 years, and this is the way America does it, and we have to be the, we have to be the big boy. We have to be the imperial power. We have to do all these things. And look, there's an allure to that. There's an attraction to it that it's hard to deny. Because being the big boy on the block, being the, the supreme power, does make you um, a different kind of uh, a different kind of security. I mean, there certainly is that there. But the United States doesn't have to lose that by simply staying out of these conflicts and trying to cultivate peace with all. I mean, this is this is the Trumpian position, I think from 2017 to 2021, wasn't that he was weak. It was that he pursued peace. And he asked NATO, he asked Germany, pay your fair share of NATO. If we're going to be involved in this, you got to pay. We're not going to sit here and do it anymore. You have to have skin in the game, and you don't. We're doing, we're doing all the heavy lifting. We're doing everything. Why is that? Why don't you, tar why don't you spend your money on this? Um, I mean, this is the deal that America cut. We're going to spend all of our taxpayer dollars to prop up everybody else, and they don't have to spend a dime. Ukraine's not spending it. I mean, what are they doing? I know they're, they're, of course, they're engaged in the conflict. But on the other hand, they couldn't even do it without U.S. dollars. So we are taxpayers responsible for that war. We're responsible for what's going on in the Middle East. There's a speech that Ron Paul gave on the floor of the House in the early 2000s where he said this. He said, as an American, I feel responsible for everything happening in the Middle East because our money has gone there to destabilize the entire region. And we've used our resources to do it. 
And that's, that's responsibility for all Americans. So the questions that are being asked, which Biden so flippantly disregards, well, you ask these questions. That's logical. Well, let me tell you why you should not ask these questions anymore, because this is in our best interest. How? It doesn't even make sense. It's an illogical response to a real question, which is, why are we propping up foreign governments around the globe? What does that actually serve for the American taxpayers and American people that could go off and get killed in these wars? How does that destabilization, which is going to create more pain, more inflation, uh, higher gas prices, higher food prices, how does all of that help us for future generations? That sounds like a pretty bad deal. And this is what people are asking and why it's important to ask these questions of these people. And you know, Hillary Clinton was just confronted the other day. Uh, she got very upset about this. The establishment, which is what we talked about this week, the establishment, whether it's in domestic policy, which they're pursuing through the corporate entities, or in foreign policy, which corporations are also involved in that. You've got you know, big military industrial corporations that want to see these things pursued because it makes them money. These are the people driving it. You and I aren't. And that's the issue. And I think that's what Americans are finally starting to realize in all this. After 20 years, people are finally starting to ask questions. And the internet has been the great leveler in that. People are able to actually find information and see things that they never thought about before. And they're able to access that information and use it to their advantage. So Biden's speech was one for the ages, but not because of what all the neocons and the establishment said. Not because it was this great strongman speech where Biden's going to do this and he's going to support our allies and all these things, but because he, he admits that he's got to try to make a case, and a weak one at that, that American interests are best served by spending billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, ultimately, in faraway places that are going to involve Americans in far-off wars and that are going to disrupt the American economy, ultimately because we don't really have the money to spend. It's got to be printed. And not just that, uh, this is going to disrupt food prices, oil prices, everything else. It always does. War is never a good thing for the peace and stability of any country in the world, including the United States. See you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.